When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Look at the state of Norcross. Look at him scurrying. <laughs> Scurrying around his house. What the fuck is that room? My house is being done up. I have a man here doing wonderful things to my house. And this is, I've been essentially uh, been sent into the room of junk where everything has to be pending the rest of the house being finished. All right. It's like Del Boy's kimono. <laughs> it's actually, it's, it's, kimono. A, it's a vintage Japanese number that used to be worn by the emperor. What, the one that has no clothes on? <laughs> Ooh. you're a man sat in a room full of junk in a kimono is what you are <laughs> that's true that is very true but I they don't have to be mutually yes. exclusive you can't be yeah, hot Mick, property in the podcast market and be sat in a room of junk dressed in a kimono Mick Jagger sat in a kimono surrounded by a room of junk once in a while it does happen okay even the very best of us find ourselves you know, in this situation. <laughs> That's the first time I think Mick Jagger and Daniel Norcross have ever been compared, and it will be the last as well. <laughs> right, come on, let's get into this podcast. Come on, Ooh-hoo. here we go. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. I am joined by Mr. Daniel Norcross. I am joined by Mr. Stephen Finn. And I am very, very sorry to say that the listener will not be joined this week by the wonderful Izzy Westbury. Now, I want to uh, launch straight into this because I was away getting married and starting my, my honeymoon as a, as a happily married, settled man. And I said to Finney and Norcross, I said, get somebody in to do the podcast, but make sure they're crap because then I won't get compared to an absolutely wonderful broadcaster. And what do you go and do? You go and get Izzy Westbury. Finney, obviously, I haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast. I've been quite busy on my honeymoon. How was it with Izzy last week? I'd imagine it was a shambles. It was lowbrow. It was um, probably childish and immature, and probably the listeners hated every second. Well, uh, I, I hate to admit it, but the podcast run by Norcross was an interesting debacle. I felt mm. sorry for Sal and the editing that he had to put together. <laughs> 
But as as far as Izzy Westby goes, as as a guest herself, obviously much prefer her to having you here. Yeah, I just think one of us would need to brush up our presenting skills because leaving it leaving Daniel Norcross in charge was um was a was a mildly foolish thing to do. Well, well hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought that she was going to be in charge. I was completely unprepared for it. I I thought the idea was that she'd turn up, you know, in combat fatigues and a Kalashnikov, and she would be in charge of the whole kit and caboodle, right? Because it was a straight swap. We take out shambolic knob gag presenter Toby Tarrant, and we replace him with classy dame you know, one of the hottest properties in cricket broadcasting, Izzy Westbury. And then it sprung on me by our producer, Sal, that, oh, no, I've got to do all that stuff at the beginning where we're going to talk about this, that, and the other. I don't know what we're going to talk about until Toby tells me. So I assumed that Izzy was going to tell me. So I was completely, I was all over the place. But luckily, and I've got to say this, I mean, kudos to Finney and to Westers. They held my hand, I thought. And by the end of it, we got out a pretty decent product. I mean, better than that, I've had people get in touch with me on WhatsApp saying I'd never listened to Zero Ducks before and I just thought that episode was superb and I've gone back and listened to some others and, you know, they weren't as good, but it's I've got the taste for it now. And um, so, you know, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was it was pretty well resurrected in the end. By about well, minute I 36, did. I got the hang of it. Well, I have been avoiding social media on my honeymoon because, you know, that's the whole point of going away is you can switch off. But I did make the mistake of logging on to Twitter a couple of days after the podcast went out just to be inundated with people messaging Zero Ducks Given saying how much they enjoyed this week. And I mean, Jack, our only listener, well, he's dead to me. He started a campaign to replace me. We got one listener and he hates yeah. me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but also, Norcross, I can't believe you don't understand how podcasts work. We got Izzy on as a guest, an unpaid guest, and you thought she would host the bloody thing. You can't say, Izzy, would you like to join us at Dear Ducks Given? Oh, and by the way, how do you feel about hosting the thing? You can't get a guest on to host the podcast. Well, now you put it like that, I suppose I should have thought of it like that. But I, I just saw her as a light-for-light replacement, you know. And I thought it would be an interesting change of dynamic. But anyway, it, it, it went fine. I want to ask about your honeymoon, though. So, I mean, obviously, we've not been invited to that as well. How many have you got at that one? Have you got like 150 people at your yeah, honeymoon, just, have you? Yeah, just uh, close family and a few friends. There's about 78 of us, I think, on this trip. So it's just a small affair. Um, but no, yeah. we've uh, we've had a lovely time. Went to Cape Town, then we went on safari for a few days, which was just unbelievable. Then back to Cape Town, and now we're in the beautiful, quaint town of Stellenbosch, which we've literally just arrived in. And I've immediately set up my laptop in our uh, in our little flat that we've got and staring at you two, and when I could be staring at my beautiful wife in this beautiful part of the world, but instead, I'm looking at a man smoking a cigarette in a kimono in a room full of junk. Are those crutches behind you, Norcross? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Have I not told you about my crutches? Have I not told no, you about my crutches? These are, ab- these are absolutely brilliant, right? So, right. Well, I'll, t- I'll explain briefly. The last time we had work done in our house was like 2006, and we were having a kitchen tabletop put on, kitchen top, you know, the work, work surface. And I went for high end. I went for the hardest material known to mankind, some kind of strange graphite. And I came back a bit pissed from work one day and it hadn't been installed. So I was slightly annoyed. And uh, my wife said, apparently it's bowed. I said, how can it possibly be bowed? So I got a hold of it and pulled it slightly towards me and then realized that I can't actually withstand as one ton's worth, literally, of granite 
comes towards my foot. And it fell on my foot, glancing blow, snapped two metatarsals and sent a little jet of blood onto my newly painted wall, which literally made a question mark. Um, It turned out that I'd broken two bones and I had to go to hospital. I should have gone that night, but I was too drunk. So I went the next day and, um, you know, they gave me a boot and then they gave me this pair of crutches, which they've never asked for back. So now if I find myself having to use the tube at rush hour, I'll take the crutches with me. Oh, and you're pretty much guaranteed a seat. It's fantastic. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> at your age, at your age, people give up their seats anyway, don't they? Yeah, uh, you can't guarantee it. We're a very mean-spirited nation, but I tell you, the crutches that that cuts through even the nastiest bugger. It's uh, it's marvellous. It's good for the upper body strength as well. Great for upper body. Well, you managed to just, in that one anecdote, managed to insult everyone who loves the NHS as you've stolen equipment from our beloved NHS and everyone disabled who genuinely needs a table on the tube. That's quite remarkable. We're about 10 minutes in and we've already (laughs) upset quite a large swathe of the UK population. So thank you for sharing that, Norcross. And it's nice that that at least this week, Jack will hate you more than he hates me, our one and only listener, I hope. Um, Now, before we get onto the cricket, I should point out that on my honeymoon, I haven't seen a single delivery of cricket in about 10 days. So and now a better podcast presenter would either do lots of research or be at pains to make sure that he caught up. But I haven't done any of that. So instead, I'll be very much handing over to both of yours expertise. Then again, there's nothing new there. The one bit of cricket that I have seen this week, because it was all over my Twitter account, was the Mancad. And we should get straight into this, really, shouldn't we? Finney's shaking his head straight away. So on Saturday, during the one-day international between the Indian women and the England women, Deepti Sharma mancadded Charlie Dean, and it's a controversial topic. And on Monday, Deepti Sharma says that Dean was repeatedly warned during her innings about leaving her crease early prior to the mancad. Heather Knight, the England captain, has come out and said... That's absolute nonsense. She wasn't warned whatsoever. Finney, let me come straight to you. The mancad, from what I could gather on Twitter, the reaction seemed to be if you were English, you were outraged, and if you were Indian, it was part of the game. Where do you stand? Neutrally, whether it's England playing, Sussex playing, whoever's playing, where do you stand on the mancad? It's crap. (laughs) Okay. It's not... I mean, how you can say or justify that especially at that stage of the game, it just feels like sheer desperation to me. It's not... And I think also, if she was five yards down the wicket and and it was so obvious that she was trying to steal yards when she was backing up, then also, fair enough. But if you're in the crease at back foot contact when the bowler's arm is in its downswing and your bat is still within the crease, then it should almost be referred to the third umpire and not allowed. It just seems completely ridiculous to be able to do that because I could run out 10 people in innings by by doing that if they had to wait until the ball was actually out of my hand to be able to to run so yeah I I wasn't happy with it but again I think it's it's quite a polarizing thing isn't it you, almost everyone who's Indian and who supports India thought that it was okay and within the rules and everyone who supports England doesn't I just it- I messaged Kate Cross and I said I hope that the next time you play them you mancad one of their players in the first innings and see how everyone likes it. Well, they, they definitely will. So, Sophie Eggleston is going to take out Dipti Sharma and Harbour Preet Kaur at the first possible opportunity, is, is my guess. I think, though, it's a lot more nuanced than that. 
I was on commentary at the time, and I was pretty scandalised by it because of the circumstances. You know, it, it's the 10th wicket to fall. The game had been bubbling up very excitingly. India, though, had bowled out all of their good bowlers who could get anybody out. So they were starting to panic because they were heading towards losing the game, even though they won the series already because they were 2-0 up. Um, and it looked, for all the world, on commentary, you, you, get, you get a sense of the rhythm of it because that's what you're doing. You're sort of attaching yourself to the rhythm of the bowling. So when she came in and bowled and did what she did, it felt to me like it was a beat too late for her to be allowed to do that, if you know what I mean. Because it felt like she was in a delivery action and then she'd stopped and du effectively duped. But, you know, a couple of things say on this, more than a couple, really. It does not matter whether it's the 10th wicket or the second wicket. It doesn't matter whether the game's being played at Lords or Hove or Worcester or, you know, a bloody park or a common. The, the rules, the laws are still exactly the same. I do think Finney's spot on that I think the third umpire should have looked at that because the wording of the law is, is very unclear but helpful in a sense because it says, um, it, it basically says at the point at which the non-striker could reasonably expected the ball to be delivered. And I did think that actually she could have reasonably expected the ball to be delivered then, but it allows for a subjectivity which shouldn't be in any laws because that's crap and we know they never work. Any law that has things like intent in it is absolute nonsense. So, that needs to be looked at. But Peter De La Pena, the great American journalist, did then produce an incredible thread showing the number of times Charlie Dean had been actually considerably out of her crease, was trying to, well, I say trying to steal a run. She was doing what you sought to do, which is basically, you know, get ahead of the game so that you're further advanced and you can get a single. And, and she did it 73 previous times. The problem was, on the occasion that she was woman-cadded, let's call it what it is, not a man-cad in this case, it's a woman-cad, um, when she was woman-cadded, and it, that was the one occasion, or one of the few occasions, when she was at her back behind the line and she seemed to be looking. What she wasn't doing was looking at Dipti's arm. She was looking at Dipti's feet. And I think she thought it's reasonable by looking at the feet to judge whether the ball is about to be delivered. But Dipti's got serious form for this. I mean, I was talking on commentary before she did it about how irritating she is in not bowling a ball over and over again. I've seen her literally take 11 minutes over and over by sort of trying to dupe the batter at the other end or refusing to release because the batter's made a movement, even the tiniest trigger movement. So you sort of knew that she was up for that. And furthermore, it's nowhere near what Maeve Duma did for Cameroon against Uganda. She mancadded four people in one game. And let me take you right to the to the very origins of it being called Mancad. There are many examples of people being out this way before Vinu Mancad did it. Happened a lot in the 19th century. So when Vinu Mancad did it, he did it because Bill Brown, the Aussie batter, had been stealing a march over and over again. And a, le a contemporaneous letter was written to the Sydney Morning Herald at the time by an Australian fan saying, Sir, Mancad has been too generous in this matter. In the match between the two sides... Brown, he cautioned Brown before running him out. Then in the game against Queensland, he warned him again. Did Brown do this sort of thing against the Englishman? I'll guarantee he didn't because he knew he wouldn't have got away with it. Knowing the sportsmanship of this Indian team, he imposes on it. Then when given out, he threw his bat on the ground. Right? On he goes to say, in this manner of running a batsman out is unfair. So are all other methods. Clean bowling must show utter disregard for the batsman's finer feelings. The only bad sportsmanship was shown by the batsman. So 
actually, people, this has been around for a long time, and it's only quite recently that we've fetishized this dismissal and said it was really bad. I genuinely don't know precisely what I think. I think... If I think there's I know a, what I there's think, a first. Where's there's a yeah. well, At the know. end of a ten minute monologue, he doesn't know what he thinks. <laughs> yeah. To but sum up, but that's I don't, the yeah. point of it. But that's the that's the point. You see, like hipster <laughs> cricket hipsters annoy the shit out of me who go, Oh yeah, the man cad's brilliant, it should happen all the time. They're just being contrarian twats. Ridiculous nationalists complaining that you know the, the the British were colonialists and that's why it's perfectly fine for Dipti Shah. Oh, and and England won a World Cup on boundary count, so it's perfectly fine to do a mancad. They're talking shit as well. But spirit of cricket wankers, they're also talking shit. You know, it's within the laws of the game. The circumstances made it look particularly egregious, and I thought it was a terrible error of judgment on her part, and it soured relationship between the two teams. And like I say, I'd be bloody staggered if either her and or Harmonpreet aren't mancadded by an England bowler the next time they play. But, you know, everyone gets terribly vexed about it. And I think they don't understand. It's been going on for bloody years and years and years. I hate people being precious. I don't well, like that. Well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, especially the Cameroon versus Uganda game, which weirdly... Four times. Well, that, but th- I mean, this is what I want to get into. By the way, before I move on, I should point out Charlie Dean was brilliant. And the very next day, she pretended to mankind in a Rachel Hayhoe Flint trophy game, which was wonderful. So well done, Charlie Dean. But um, to unravel what you did say there, it proves Finney right. Finney said he could get 10 run outs a game, as proven by that Cameroonian game, that if you choose to just start mancadding, you can pretty much get out everyone doing it because if you do it cleverly, people will leave their crease to back out. Now, I do have, I do know what I think about Mancad, and it's sort of what you said, Norcross, that taking out the ethics and the spirit of cricket and the morality of it, it's just a crap rule. The rule needs changing. So, Finney, if you were in charge of cricket, God help us, if you were in charge of cricket, what do you do with the Mancad rule? Because it's not fair for the batsmen to back up as far as they want. No, but I... I mean, it's the MCC. Who knows what might happen? Because they seem to change the most arbitrary, stupid rules to something and then leave the ones that actually do matter in the game of cricket. Um, But I think... Guess what? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. I do. On this this occasion, I actually have got the solution. It was given to me by a bloke called Tom in the Lord's Tavern after the game. (laughs) He'd had a bit to drink, and I thought, oh, this is going to be bullshit coming out of his mouth. But surprisingly and amazingly, he I thought he was absolutely spot on. It's quite hard to do for club cricket, don't get me wrong, but club cricket can take care of itself. If you've got a professional game, what you have is a batting noble, and you have a batting noble umpire. It can be the third umpire, if you like, uh, who's checking for the noble, checks for the front foot noble of the bowler. And the way you word the law is that at the moment the ball leaves the bowler's hand, the batter must have something behind or or, just behind the crease, right? If he doesn't, then his side is docked one run every time it happens, right? You can't get out. You can't be man-caddied out, right? But you then have a, a run taken off you. So that way, batters will stay inside their crease because if they're out of the crease and every bloody ball is going, bing, uh-oh, we lost another bloody run, then they'll stay where they are. And then nobody will ever be mancanted because it won't be possible to do. People will stay in their crease and people stop being all sort of ridiculously pompous about it. And the whole thing is solved. I think it's genius. Tom, you're a genius. 
No, because what about domestic cricket? How are you going to do it in domestic cricket? You have a third umpire. You have a third umpire that stands in domestic cricket. Square the wicket. Yeah, there's loads of people oh, want to be umpires. God, Jack stand... Chantry. Jack Chantry would do it. Oh, crap. sounds absolutely what, silly. What's wrong with that? You've got a square leg <laughs> what umpire. What's wrong with it's that? Not... Hang on, you've got a square leg Where umpire. Are you Why not some have bloke another fifty umpire? grand a year to stand there at fucking? Wait a and minute. See whether have, you watched, out there have you watched yeah. baseball? Have you watched? Have you watched football? They have two lines: uh, assistant referees and a referee. You've got in baseball. You've got a million of the fuckers. There's all I'm saying is three standing umpires for a massive great oh, ground like cricket. You're just way. stuck in your ways. They won't get nah. in your way. Don't be daft. I'm still get in the way. But the uh, square leg uh, umpire doesn't get in the way, does he? Just have somebody, he does. you know, wide. Yeah, he bloody does. Well, <laughs> tough titty. Work around him, right? No, and then, right. then your your problem is solved, and you, Finney, should love it because it means that the batter's not going to steal a march at any stage. So it suits the bowling side. And, uh, yeah, and so it definitely won't get. Um, it definitely won't happen then. Look, I, I I had a similar similar idea as Northwest, but not as extreme as getting a third umpire in just for, to watch that one boring part of the game. It's quite boring, isn't it? Yeah. I've got a far more casual approach to it, okay? The bowler's no longer in charge of warning the batsman. The umpire's in charge of warning the batsman. Just like when a bowler runs on the danger zone of a pitch, they, they just do it casually. They don't actually constantly look at the technology and say, are they going in the danger zone? They do it down on the field. And they warn the bats when you're backing up too far. And if they warn them a three times, then they take off five penalty runs. It's much easier than getting another bloke in. But that's it. That's the whole problem solved. This is why I should be in charge of the ICC. And you two should be nowhere near the decision making. because It's similar, but my one's more fun. Because the first time it happens, there'll be like 30 penalty runs. And it'd be bloody brilliant. It'd be like... It'd be like the Maeve Doomer of, of batting no balls. What, what have I done? What have I done? It, it, I did it, it, poor batsman, like someone like Darren Stevens. He's got to undo about 35 years of backing up at the non-strikers. That's end. right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we will come on to Darren Stevens, by the way, as he plays his last ever game for Kent as we have this chat. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Um, however, we should talk about uh, the England men's side. And as I said, I haven't seen any of the T20s other than the results and a bit of stuff on Twitter. It looks like it's been a wonderful series. Two names I do want to pick up from what I have seen. Um, first of all, Stephen Finn. Harry Book, Harry Brooks, really bloody good, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he seems to have everything, doesn't he? He's got power. Um, he's got the finesse that that you need to be able to bat in the middle order in um, Test match cricket. Yeah, he seems to be the complete package. He's almost the the new Joe Root, doesn't he? It's sort of essences of that when he came um, onto the scene for the first time. So, yeah, I think. Um, He's certainly got a bright future ahead in, in international cricket. You just hope that he finds a way into that middle order in the test team somehow because he seems like too much of a talent not to be. But where on earth do you fit him in? He's so still at the point that he hits the ball. It's just amazing. He gets into really good positions. He's really clever. The game the other day, um, he rebuilt after England lost three quick wickets. But he was accessing parts of the ground where fielders weren't, which I know is the obvious thing to do. But when they're on both sides of the wicket, that's pretty skillful. Um, and he's just so effortlessly powerful. He's he's 
he's beautiful. I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm falling for Harry Brook. I mean, a Brook Pope middle order for 10 years will just send me into absolute raptures and attacks of the vapours. I think he's fantastic. And the other one, though, I want to talk about a little bit is Ben Duckett. Ben Duckett got given such a, a, a terrible first chance with England. Go and open the batting in Bangladesh and Mahadi Hassan will bowl on ragging turners at you. He'll open, he'll open the bowling bowl quite quick off spin and smash it into your stumps, turning it from leg to off. He's never seen anything like it. He then has that incident when he throws water over Jimmy Anderson. He seems to be put out in the cold. Then he's called up as backup for the oval test and now brought into this T20 side. And I think he's he looks like he's really benefited from spending four years, five years knowing his game. You know, it's like that thing where England pick young batters so often. They come in and they don't do what you want them to do. And then you never hear from them again. He's come back, I think, at just the right time. I think he's uh, he's a really interesting find during this series. Yeah, I mean, again, like I say, I've not seen it, but obviously when I look at the scorecards and I've seen lots of love for Ben Duckett on Twitter. I guess the only concern at the minute, and I suppose it's a nice, a nice-ish problem to have, but Finney, with a T20 World Cup literally just around the corner, I don't think the selectors or the captain, Josh Butler, has any idea what his best 11 is. When you look at the team that won the 50 over World Cup and it was so settled going into that tournament. OK, Archer came in for David Willey. But other than that, that team had been playing together a hell of a lot. It does feel like they've got no idea what their best 11 looks like with the World Cup just a month away or less than a month away. Yeah, well, also conditions are so... There's such a difference between the conditions they're playing in now and the conditions that they're going to face in Australia. Ben Duckett's been amazing in this series so far by sweeping and reverse sweeping and nerdling his way to a very high strike rate, which has been amazing to watch. He's shown real skill to be able to do that. But do you need those skills in Australia? Arguably, no, you don't. Well, he's not even in the World Cup squad, is he, to be fair? So, I mean, it's... um. Yeah, it's pretty pointless talking about that. But I think, yeah, certainly the the conditions that they're facing now aren't giving them an opportunity to be able to find out their best formula. I think the best teams as well, it's not necessarily the personnel because the personnel can change, will change with injuries and form, etc. But the one thing about that team that went into the World Cup in 2019 was the fact that there were defined roles for everyone in the team. And if one person couldn't fulfill that role, someone else just came in and did it. Um, and Joffre Archer was the new ball bowler and death bowler that David Willey was in that team before he got left out, albeit different arm. But you had a leg spinner, an off spinner. Chris Wokes, a very good new ball bowler. You had the extra pace of Mark Wood and the middle overs of Liam Plunkett. So you, you had all bases covered, whereas... It feels as though going into this World Cup, England are still trying to discover that with the turnover of players and the change in captaincy and coach. I think they're still trying to find that method. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask one, one big problem that they've got, sorry, Tobes, is that um, they don't know if any of their fast bowlers are going to be fit. So we weren't sure if Mark Wood was, was realistically going to make it. Chris Wokes is in the T20 squad. Is he really going to play? Tim Mills <laughs> is a travelling reserve, the most likely travelling reserve ever to play, I think, that there has ever been. Probably go straight into the team. But they've wanted pace, so they've tried out a lot of people with pace during this series because pace does matter on those Pakistan pitches. 
And Mark Wood was unbelievable. He only bowled in one game so far, had to be rested after it. But he bowled 97 miles an hour. But his first over back, every ball was over 90, some into the mid-90s. And the difference that that makes, and we'll make just as much on an Australian pitch, if not more, as it makes on a Pakistan pitch, is crucial. So I think there's a kind of jostling for position to find out who's fit to play that role. And that's what they're trying to find out with Wood. And it may, may well be Wood and Timar Mills could feature, you know. Uh, I do think that they do know roughly the roles that they want. They want the two big hitting openers. Um, Dawood Milan at the moment at three seems to be highly likely. And then it's who can bludgeon the shit out of it at um, four, five, six, you know. And so they're all auditioning, aren't they? Harry Brooks auditioning, Will Jax is auditioning, Ben Duncan's auditioning. I know that the, the latter two aren't going to be aren't in the squad, but that's essentially the role they're auditioning for. And they, they've auditioned pretty well. So, you know, Finney's right that that could well be that the team that takes the field is not one that's played together before and isn't a team as such. But I think they quite forensically know what they want. They need at least one super quick bowler, ideally two, and they want a leggy. Moeen's perfect, you know, uh, Biffa, plus there'll be pitches where off-spin's handy. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think they're on the, they're well on the way to getting it. But T20 is a fucking lottery, so, you know, anyone can win. <laughs> There's no point, <laughs> no point really analysing their chances of winning. We saw in the UAE, if you win the toss and bat second, you win the game. I mean, that's another wonderful monologue culminating in a conclusion of, but anyway, I don't know what what I'm talking about. So, you know, who cares? Um, yeah, maybe but, more people should be humble like me and not know what they're talking about. Maybe the well, pound that's why we have tanked here. against the dollar. <laughs> that's why we sit here and speculate um, and, and we don't have any positions of power. I mean, if I was a selector, there'd be some oh, very interesting yeah. meetings, wouldn't there? You'd be, well, I, I don't know. We just... Pick him. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Just because. Because <laughs> I feel like it. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm very glad you mentioned this. I was going to ask you about Mark Wood's ridiculous pace, Stephen Finn, but actually, now did you cover this last week on the podcast? Yes. The, the yeah. rumours yeah. swirling around about Stephen Finn. So, can you humour me? Good to know you please? listened. I told you I didn't listen. I'm on a honeymoon. I can't. I can't justify leaving my beautiful new wife and to go for an hour to listen to. She Izzy must West go to sleep a... at some point, and then you can, you know, whip it out. <laughs> I don't want to listen to Izzy. I was going to say, what is... <laughs> a week into marriage, yeah, fair enough. No, exactly. We're, I like the key. The key is in the word marriage. I've not whipped anything out in the eleven days we've been together. Believe me. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't want to listen to Izzy Westbury be better than me at my job. I just want to know she's better without actually having to hear it. And um, so, Stephen Finn, just humour me and for people that didn't listen last week. Are you going to be the new England selector, as reported in the Telegraph? Uh, no. Okay, well, okay. That's a shame because we. You're still not going to get picked, Toby. And and I, I think Finney would have picked you for one game just for the enjoyment. He waited until England were playing Cummins, Hazelwood, and Stark, and then called you up for the game at Perth. I think. Just <laughs> 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 enjoyed every well. I say every minute. It wouldn't be that many minutes with the. Well, I no, mean, it's more the bowling I'd like to see. I'd like to see him suffer for an entire day in the Perth heat. <laughs> On that track, those little spindly legs and arms running up to the crease, like oh god, and ginger as well. So you burn that skin. Oh my god, what a combination! Bowling at David Warner, yeah, none for yeah. two hundred and thirty and sunstroke. I'd love to see that. The, the thing is, the thing is, just because you selected me, the captain doesn't have to bowl me. I somehow no, I don't. It'd be part of the terms. 
<laughs> somehow i don't think i fit into mccullum and stokes's plans down under in australia for some reason but if, if you could convince stokes to just bowl me from one end all day <laughs> now law of averages penny right so if i get to bowl what if i get to bowl 45 overs at one end law of averages can i not at least take like one for 400 uh, you 400? might get someone now caught on the boundary because they're so tired of hitting it for six yeah potentially <laughs> I'll take it. One test wicket. It's a test wicket, yeah. <laughs> Hazelwood. It'll, probably, it'll, be, it'll be Hazelwood caught at deep mid-wicket. The, the longest boundary there. He's, he's pumped it 81 metres, but he's still got caught <laughs> deep mid. I mean, I'll take it. I'll be off giving it the helicopter celebration and all. I'd have my shirt over my head. I wouldn't care about my figures. I mean, that's a test wicket. Yeah, and then, and, then, and, the, and then if you did that, then he'll bowl at you later in the match. And, um, you know, you'll be <laughs> the local hospital will be on speed dial. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be batting by square leg umpire. Don't you worry. I'll be just saying, just hit the stumps, Josh. Don't you worry. You just bowl full and straight, mate. I'll do the honourable thing. He um, won't no. do that. <laughs> no, he won't. It'll yeah. just bowl wide. It's not how Australians work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He'll make sure he gets a bit of me before he says goodbye. Um, now, sad, sad news in the world of cricket that we touched on recently. It may not be the end of Darren Stevens, our favourite cricketer ever on this podcast, but it will be the end of Darren Stevens at Kent for the time being. They've announced they're retiring his number. The number three at Kent will never be able to be worn again. And uh, it's the end of an era. Now, surely, Finney, I mean, you got a contract this year. So surely there's going to be a county out there desperate enough that they'll take a take a punt on Darren Stevens, given his contribution to cricket over recent years. I mean, if you can get a contract, Darren Stevens, surely, no shortage of offers. Yeah, I'd imagine they'll be climbing the walls to, to give him a contract. Yeah, because... I was so fortunate to be able to give him the opportunity here at Sussex. It'd be fun if he did keep playing. I mean, he's obviously done amazing things at Kent, hasn't he? So, yeah, I think certainly there could be opportunities out there for him. And he's done he's done well, hasn't he, this year? He helped them get to the final. Oh, no, they won the, the Royal yeah. One Day Cup and he played a big part in that. And he's still been handy in the championship as well. So why not? Um, now, surely, Finney, you know, you must feel a little bit raw about the fact that what did you take for Middlesex? 550 first-class wickets, something like that, contributed to several Ashes wins, well, a handful of Ashes wins for England as well. I mean, why didn't they retire your number at Middlesex? Because they're not that fond of me, I'd have thought. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be quite frank. <laughs> now, would you say... I think everyone out? just thought I was shit the whole time there anyway. So I think they're all like, how on earth does this bloke keep taking wickets? Oh, wait, no, crap. That's the attitude I think they had towards me. Oh, well, do you know what? I'm, 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 this is oh, can't be having this. They, can't be having that's, this. That's not true. There's, there's honestly, there's literally dozens of Middlesex fans who hold you in extremely high regard. And um, I know if you, I mean Emma Vernon, she listens to the show. She's our other listener. She's big fan, big fan. You're, you're, you're very affectionately remembered there. I tell you, whenever I. Go to Lords. I say whenever, you know, maybe one in every five or six times um, when your name comes up. People have lovely things to say about you and quite right too. <laughs> yeah. And is that meant to be a nice thing? I don't know. Am I meant to like that comment or? Well, yeah. it, I'm, I'm, I'm being supportive. Oh, okay. I think, wasn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. Look, I'm learning. I'm learning this supportive thing. All right. <laughs> this is all, all part of like us getting together as men and, and, and being better. 
stop trying to be a nice man. You told us at the start of the podcast how you use crutches to get a seat on the tube. So don't try and claw <laughs> it back now. <laughs> yeah, well, now, yeah, I'm, I'm a balanced human being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're the yin and the yang. Um, now, Darren Stevens isn't the only man who we may be saying goodbye to at the end of the season because Michael Hogan, the veteran Glamorgan bowler, has also announced his retirement. And there is a wonderful statistic about him that I saw this week. He has never been out LBW in his career, which is a ridiculous <laughs> statistic. Now, I'm trying to work out what that means about his batting technique. Well, Presumably, he he's just standing next to square bowled. leg umpire, isn't he? But yeah, he's got to be standing well outside <laughs> leg and getting clean bowled. That's the only explanation for that. But with some of the standard of umpiring at times, you'd think even then he'd had a dodgy decision down the years. So surely his whole... He just needs to keep his pads out of the way now for this final game. You'd be absolutely gutted if you get out LBW in your last ever game, wouldn't you? Well, do you know what? I'm watching him. I think he might be in now. I'm watching Glamorgan have a slog against Sussex. No, he's not in yet. He's in next. Glamorgan have 468 for eight from mm. 98 overs. Um, Ouch. Which is a significant amount of runs, yes. Um, but he's in next. So he's not actually batted yet this inning. Now, of the bowlers that are playing for Sussex, today you've got uh you've got curry fahim haynes hudson prentice hunt ibrahim carson clark which one of them is the most likely one to bowl full and straight and get hogan out lbw and ruin this wonderful statistic do you reckon um hunt maybe okay well, yeah, I think, yeah hunt he's, he's got a couple of wickets in the innings so far and bowled nicely yeah we, hunt he can blow his pads off ruin that statistic that'd be nice it's an opportunity to make yeah. history for a young lad great history yeah yeah to be the I'd only agree. person and to and and to go to your grave with that as well would be absolutely fantastic, wouldn't it? I mean, not not immediately. Wait, wait a while, <laughs> yeah. seventy years, you know. But um, yeah. just generally, something to look forward to. I think the only person to ever retire and probably immediately head towards their grave in the next few years will be Darren Stevens because he's not going to retire till he's about ninety six. To be fair, he's probably the only one that will <laughs> literally retire and then roll straight into an open grave and. We'll chuck some mud on the top of him. But hopefully that's a long way away, Darren, if you're listening. Now, finally, and it, oh, why can Izzy Westbury do this bit? I have to. Mm. I have to. You do. Let Daniel Norcross have his moment because Surrey have fluked and scraped their way to another county championship. The richest county by an absolute mile of all their billions has just about got over the line in a county championship victory that nobody will ever remember apart from Daniel Norcross. Uh, Daniel, what have you made of Surrey in the county? Why am I even asking this? Sal, feel free to edit all of this out. But Daniel, what have you made of Surrey in the county championship this season? Well, I have absolutely loved every minute of it. They have uh, they were written off at the start of the season because people are a bit thick and hadn't worked out that their captain was going to be back for the entire county championship season, which was a massive difference. They last won it in 2018 when Rory Burns was not selected for England. Once he was going to be released by England, once Ollie Pope and Ben Folks were going to get to play seven matches pretty much at the start, like those guys, they played, right, um, let's have a look here. Folks played nine county championship matches. Pope played eight because of the way the season was structured. Neither of them in the IPL. So, uh, Surrey were always, was going to have high calibre batters at the top of the order. So I didn't have any worry about their runs. And that was actually borne out by the fact they were at no stage this season, call it a fluke, how dare you, bowled out for under 300 in their first innings. That is pretty damn good. They broke some records along the way. They got the highest ever score made by a team not to contain 100, 672, I think it was, 
against Kent at Beckenham. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but the bowling was the thing that, that worried me. And the brilliant signing of Dan Worrell, who is attempting to qualify for England, sort of do a Scott Boland for England. You could see him at the Ashes in four years. He'll know, or three and a half years out in Australia, he'll know those pitches. He was a brilliant, brilliant signing. Um, Kemar Roach coming back. Like, he got a bit fortunate today. He played seven games. So having an overseas player, especially like a, a West Indian who might have been out of action with the CPL, um, playing early in the season, then coming back late in the season has been a, another great signing. But they used 22 players, right? No side wins the championship with 22 players. So the depth is extraordinary. And I want to, like, props to a couple of guys who will not get properly lauded. Jordan Clark, who played 11 matches, he averaged 51.8 with the bat, and he's batting at eight, right? He scored over 400 runs in doing that. And then with the ball, he took 30 wickets. At an average of 35, but frankly, that's what he's doing as a kind of fourth seamer. Absolutely superb. And a young man called Tom Laws, who I think is a very interesting prospect, only 19 years old, had a fantastic breakout season. Surrey have done this without any spinners to speak of. Dan Moriarty's playing his first game today. They used Will Jacks earlier on. But they got fortunate in that they really keep, they had key players at the top of the order. They got unfortunate that they lost the likes of Sam Curran, Ollie Pope, Ben Folks, obviously, uh, Reese Topley through one-day tours and what have you. So the strength and depth they had was amazing. But their bowling is one that's really uh, shone for me. And the pitches, because the overall pitches can be a bit annoying. And everyone goes, oh, well, he scored all his runs at the oval. Well, that's where there were results most of the time because the pitches were actually a bit sporting. They had they scored had really bad ball draws when they went away to Gloucestershire and, uh, and to Edgebaston. So um, it's a fantastic achievement. It's their 21st title. It means that they have got more county championships than any other county since the end of the Second World War. And as Finney points out frequently to me and you, all cricket before the Second World War was absolutely shit. And uh, Harold Lyle would bowl at 65 miles an hour. Um, Bradman would be a tail ender these days. And so all of those titles that Yorkshire got are invalid. Surrey are top of the tree. We're the best. Championes, championes. And I drank a bottle of champagne in 30 minutes while on air doing the Surrey live stream. The moment they got the winning runs, I was presented with a bottle of Earth Clico and I'd finished it just as we went off air. <laughs> well, there you go, Norcross. I, I let you have your moment and begrudging well done to Surrey. To be honest, I've got absolutely no problem with Surrey. I'm, I'm born and raised in Surrey. It's just uh, Norcross being happy that I have a problem with. And that's why I was very reluctant to uh, to, to give you that moment. But well done. Uh, Finney, one final thing. I know it's a cricket podcast, but I've got to get your take on your other great love in your life. Obviously, the things you love in life are Sussex, me and Daniel, Ethel. And Watford Football Club as well. And Watford have sacked yet another manager. They go through managers like Daniel Norcross goes through underwear. They change it every few months. What what, what have you made of it as a Watford fan? Yeah, it's not... It, it, I'm reluctant to criticise because they have brought a period of success to the club that we haven't seen for a long time. But, yeah, I, at the beginning of the season when they were saying that um, they were going to make this a long-term appointment and build for the future. And then only, I think, less than 10 games into the season, we've we've chucked in um, when there was a lot of distraction around the transfer market and he wasn't necessarily given the players that he might have liked. So, yeah, I feel sorry for him. He's an incredibly handsome man, actually, so I'm sure he'll be fine with whatever he chooses to do next. And the 
the payout would have been handsome too. But yeah, he seemed like a good fella, and yeah, just a a shame to have cycled through another another manager. That's the good thing. Me and Norcross know that that no matter what happens in your career, we can always mm-hmm. fall back on our looks. And frankly, doors open for you when you when you look like me and Norcross do. So I completely understand how he feels. <laughs> well. Lads, I think we I've got, got one. Considering I didn't see a single ball of cricket all week. Yeah, yes, Norcross. I've got one last thing because because the idea about this podcast is that um, we don't ever get a news line because uh, mm. that's clearly what seems to happen every time. But we've got I've got to ask Finney one question, and it's basically it's a yes or no, and I bet he'll answer it by saying no comment. So the high performance review came out this week. No one wants to talk about high performance reviews because it's incredibly boring, isn't it? But one big thing has come out of it, which is that county fans up and down the country are mobilising over the outrage of the reduction in county championship matches from 14, as it currently is, to 10. So I want to ask Finney if he thinks that cricketers would be better if they played 10 first-class matches or 14. Well, first of all, that's not a yes or no answer that you've asked me to give there because you didn't actually give me two options. Would it be better playing 14 matches rather than 10? I think it depends when they're played. Like right now, it's freezing cold, it's windy, it's wet. Are you becoming a better cricketer by playing cricket in these conditions? No, you're probably not. So playing in the first week of April or the last week of September is pretty futile, in my opinion. So therefore, that's a couple of games that aren't making anyone better cricketers. If you were to restructure it so that you could fit all of those championship games in better months of the summer that are more conducive to cricket, then I don't see a problem with keeping 14 games. But if there is no room in the schedule for which we have now made a month for the 100 in the middle of the summer, where there will be no domestic four-day cricket played, county cricket that is, then would 10 games be better? Then I'd probably say yes. Well, there you go. You see, that is a properly nuanced answer. And we need more of those on this programme. <laughs> Stop slagging off our own podcast. That's a good point, actually. No, it's a brilliant <laughs> podcast. It's a brilliant It's a brilliant podcast that, that does nuance superbly. And brings the game to life for a, a whole new generation of fans. For a whole new generation of fans. <laughs> OK, well, chaps, lovely to see you both. And uh, I'll see you, sadly, I'll see you next week when I'm actually on English soil. But until then, I'm going to go and uh, drink my own body weight in Pinotage and go and have a taster menu tonight. So until then, I'll see you next week. Enjoy. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.